0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Talking Murder with My Mother podcast. It's your host, Sonia, and unfortunately... I don't have my mother with me because she has gone back to Canada, so we did do some pre-records on the next uh, three episodes, so we will have that, and then it'll be um, almost like a phone interview type of call uh, where I'll have her, you know, basically telling her the stories over the phone. But I wanted to give you guys a little mini episode just to give you guys some updates that I found on the second episode that we did, so... Um, First story in the second episode was about Joseph Fiore, and he was the kid. Sorry about the noises. My dogs are around as well, guys. Sorry about that. And the Chihuahua just keeps licking me. Yeah, Chicky, I'm trying to do a mini episode here. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for the kisses. So uh, Joseph Fiore, he is the little kid who shot his dad to save his stepmother. And I found this other news article from the time that says, boy kills dad for strapping given mother meant to teach father a lesson youth tells police. And apparently in here, it says quote unquote, I don't know whether it was murder or not, sir. The boy Joseph Fiori, told the police Lieutenant Edward Ratzik, I never shot a pistol before and I didn't intend to kill, but I had to do something desperate to stop this whipping of mother. So again, I just wanted to read that out because, um, you know, he, he really desperately, considered this woman to be his mother and he shot his own father, uh, for it. So yeah. And again, he shot her because she changed the tires on the wrong car. What a fucking asshole. Anyway. So the misunderstanding is what got this asshole shot. And it says, uh, Joseph, a tousled-headed youngster with thin lips, prominent chin, and unusual intelligence for his age, tried to comfort the stepmother after the whipping. She had raised him since he was two and was regarded by the boy as his mother. Finally, affected by the tears, Joseph suddenly left the room, promising to fix it all up. The next thing heard was a shot from the front where Fiore was entering his automobile. The man fell dead. And Joseph was held in the detention home pending a coroner's investigation. So that's the little article, extra article I found. And then, of course, I told you guys he got married and stuff. And I actually found him. So I find him, and it says 1916, death of his brother Sam Fiore, which was from his father's first marriage, so his full brother. Then three years later in 1919, I told you guys he had a half-brother, with his uh, stepmother and his father having a child that passed away, John Fiore, And then the death of his father in 1928. And then he gets married to Grace uh, Dropiuski in 1934, like I told you guys. And then I find him in Northville, Wayne, Michigan, living in 1940, 1941. He has the birth of his son, like I told you guys, the death of his son, 1942. 1944, he goes into the military don't know when he goes gets out of the military, but then he's living in Florida. He moves from Michigan to Florida in 1981, and he lives in Citra, Marion, Florida, and then he lives there up until he dies in 2001. So, hooray! I'm happy for him. I hope he had a good life. Obviously, his he had no kids and anything, anything, but he did live. And then I look it up, and I find Grace's wife. And scroll, scroll, scroll through, and you find death of husband Joseph Salvatore Fiori in 2001, and she ends up moving to um, Arizona, which is crazy. So she moves to Arizona. Um, So that's the story of them two, and that's what I found. And then on the Horning case, which is the last case on the episode, um, that is the one where the mother kills the father in front of the three sons, I find this crazy long article that I didn't find at the beginning, and it tells more of the story. It's pretty crazy. So I'm just going to read it out for you guys because it's it's nuts. It has all kinds of, like, quotes and stuff. It, it, the kids, people, anyway. So it says, uh, March 6th, the suburbanite economist, 1928, free mother who killed her husband. Blame prohibition for tragedy. Son tells of father's abuse. It's the curse of the 18th Amendment. With these words, Deputy Coroner Joseph Dorfman fixed the cause of the tragic shooting last Sunday morning when Mrs. Anna Horning, 40-year-old, from 8344-THROOP, killed her husband George, 44, during a quarrel in their homes while he was intoxicated. Mrs. Horning was exonerated by the coroner's jury, who determined that she shot her husband in self-defense after enduring three years of constant abuse at his hands. The verdict of the coroner's jury has created widespread discussion in the community over the right of women to slay her husband because of excessive abuse. In, I see no problem with this, by the way, ladies. Uh, in some quarters, it is contended that the verdict has set a dangerous precedent. Drink will do most anything, says Mrs. John Higgins of Champlain, 8031 Champlain Avenue, a sister of the slain man. She said tearfully, as she testified at the inquest, George was a good father and a good provider, but when he was drunk, he was out of his mind. so that's his own sister saying that that George Horning had called his wife vile names, had repeatedly struck her, and threatened to kill her was brought out at the inquest by testimony given by Mrs. Horning, her ten-year-old son Glenn, and by neighbors who heard the frequent quarrels ever since Remus killed his uh, ever since Remus killed his wife. He used to say over and over again. Oh, if I had only nerve enough to kill her, someday I'd do what Remus did, Mrs. Horning told the coroner's jury. I'm not sure who Remus is. Glenn, the 16-year-old son of the Hornings, a sophomore at Calumet High School, related to the jury how his father had frequently come home intoxicated, used abusive language, and attempted to strike his mother. So that's the six, uh i I'm sorry. It says 16 years old, and then it says... Oh, I'm sorry. It is 16, but the type print is bad. Um... Youth defends mother. He said, now this is the son. He said things about her that weren't true, the boy testified. He said she went out with other men, but she went but she went to take my young brother to church. She wouldn't take my brother with her if she was going out with another man, would she? The youth told of an occasion two years ago when the father attempted to strike his mother. He went for her, then like a raving maniac, but I pushed him away. I was pretty young, and I didn't believe in swearing, but I heard plenty of swearing. He was like a wild ape. This is his kid saying this. Two younger children, Willard and Leonard, neatly dressed in their Sunday clothes, listened solemnly to all that was said at the inquest, and as the jury filed out to consider a decision, they cried bitterly as they clung to their mother. When Deputy Coroner Dorfman read the verdict exonerating Mrs. Horning, Mrs. Mrs. Higgins, sister of the slain man, kissed her and expressed satisfaction over the outcome. The neighbors and relatives present at the inquest also expressed their satisfaction with the verdict. Mrs horning herself smiled quietly as she heard the words of the jury and attempted to console her sons who had been crying the same calm was hers as she recited her story before the jury in a clear calm voice at no, time betray- at no time betraying any emotion after firing three shots at her husband all of which took effect mrs horning stated that she sat down for a moment as she became faint and too weak to stand then going to the telephone she called the gresham police station and said calmly Send somebody over. I've just shot my husband. Mrs. Horning told the police who hurried to her home that she purchased the revolver and a half box of cartridges in Hammond last August and that she did so because she didn't believe it was safe to live with her husband without something to protect herself when he went into his terrible, maniacal rages. Jesus. God Almighty. The gun was kept hidden in the clothes closet until her husband would come home intoxicated and quarreling. At such time, she would remove it from the closet and put it in the top drawer of her dresser. Like, she's getting ready for this. Mrs. Like, and I don't mean like that night. I mean, she'd been preparing every night that he would come home drunk. She'd move the gun somewhere where she could get a hold of it if she needed it. Ugh. Mrs. Horning also said that her husband was trying to drive... Her from the home so that he could get possession of the residence valued at about fourteen thousand dollars. Again, this is nineteen twenty-eight. This was corroborated by Mrs. Uh, by Mrs. William P. Waldman, a tenant in the upstairs apartment, who declared that Mr. Horning had come in, uh, had come in, had come to her and asked to go to court and help him attempt to evict Mrs. Horning from the house. Mrs. Horning told how her husband had struck her for the first time five years ago and had done so repeatedly in the past three years, frequently grabbing her by the throat and attempting to choke her. He courted me for five years before I married him, and during that time, I never so much as smelled liquor on his breath. I lived in Waukegan then, and many of our neighbors were drinking men, and I saw what liquor did to a home. My own father drank, and seeing these things, it turned me against any man who drank. George promised me faithfully that he would not drink and that I would never have to worry about his abusing— Uh, Because of his getting drunk. Six months after we were married, he came home drunk. He was always complaining and grumbling and finding fault with me. He used to complain that uh, that I didn't save enough money and that I was too extravagant. Why aren't you like other women, he kept saying to me. Why aren't you wise enough to keep from having a family? Why aren't you wise enough to keep from having a family? For the last three years, he was a raving maniac. He used to complain every time I brought something for the house or anything to wear. A difference in religion between the husband and wife was the cause for frequent quarrels as well, the testimony revealed. He always criticized my folks, she continued. I told him that my folks are just as good as his. He got furious when I would say this and he would push me into a corner where I couldn't move and he would hit me in the face and blacken my eye. The next day he said to me, I won't be happy until I see the other eye black. This incident, according to the testimony, occurred two years ago, and Mrs. Horning said she called the police and had had her husband arrested. I felt hurt that I had to have my husband arrested, she continued, and I didn't want to appear against him, so the case was dismissed. He was arrested again last November following one of his periods of intoxication. He was placed on probation for six months by Judge uh, Hellander in Grand Grand Crossing Court. "'But he was ten times worse when he was on probation,' said Mrs. Horning. "'He used to say, "'I'll make you suffer for this. "'I'll discredit your character until you won't be able to face one of your neighbors. "'I wanted to get a divorce, but he begged me not to. "'He kept on promising me he'd try to do better. "'You stuck with me all these years, and you ought to stick with me now,' he'd say. "'He swore that he would never pay a cent of alimony, "'and I went to see a lawyer about getting a divorce, "'but he advised me to wait until my husband paid some of the bills. "'Lately, though, Georgia tried to get me out of the house "'so that he could have the home.' But I couldn't leave. I had nowhere to go with my three children. Ever since he read in the papers about Remus shooting his wife, he used to say he'd do the same thing. In her statement to the police following the shooting, Mrs. Horning said that husband that her husband talked frequently of what Lieb, Lieb and Leopold had done and of what Hickman had done and made threats to her. He said to me, take your damn kids and get out of the house. Mrs. Horning told the coroner's jury in a calm voice, he said... You're getting old and now it's time to get rid of you. I need a young woman. I know 15 women who would be glad to come over and live here, one after the other. During the course of the inquest, Deputy Coroner Dorfman pointed to the effect of the 18th Amendment on homes such as that of the Hornings. This shows the curse of the 18th Amendment that you people voted for when we were over there fighting, he said as he listened to the testimony that revealed how liquor had changed Horning following his marriage. T.A. Dillon, assistant prosecuting attorney, questioned Mrs. Horning and the other witnesses at the inquest. And then it just has like addresses of the, which is so crazy to me as well. They have like the names and the addresses of the witnesses just like printed in the newspapers. So like, you know, if you don't like a witness's testimony, you can just pop by there later and, you know, whack them. Um, But yeah, so that's crazy. That was something I hadn't found before and I had no idea how I found it. But I cannot find her for the life of me anywhere, except in a... 1940 census and again this was in 1928 when she shot her husband in a 1940 census I find her still living with all the boys and they're like in their 20s Um, and then I did find George Horning which is technically Glenn I don't know why they call him George I think it's his middle name Um, and it says you know his information um, and it says his death was in 1978 so the son the eldest son who was Testifying in court against, you know, his dad and the fact that his mom deserved to be exonerated. um, It says that he was a retired elevator operator and he died in 1978. I don't know from what, but he was born in like 19... I don't know. He was... 16 and 1928 so do the math i don't have a calculator people um so yeah i will post some pictures because i have some pictures of the boys and their mom uh anna horning and her sons and i have a picture of joseph and his stepmom so i will post those online as well and i hope you guys enjoyed this little mini update episode i hope to bring you guys more like this but obviously with mom on them so see you next time guys oh and if you want to get a hold of us i always forget this um talking murder with my mother at gmail.com uh, just, you know, punch it into the search bar on Instagram. You'll find us, uh, Talking Murder With My Mother podcast on Facebook, uh, at, um, Murder Talking for Twitter. If you want to do that, even though we're not really big on Twitter, cause again, mom doesn't do any of these social media, <laughs> mother doesn't do anything. She doesn't listen to the podcast after we do it. And I edit it. She doesn't, she doesn't want to hear herself. Okay, she's just good with talking about the murders and listening about the t- to the murders and all that stuff. But mom will never be on Twitter. Mother will never do the Instagram. Only if I post pictures if we're together, things of that nature. Um, she's not going on Facebook. She really goes on her fucking Facebook page. I-, I think the last time she went on her own Facebook page was like two years ago. So yeah, not not good. But again, if you do email or you want to email through the you know the actual gmail she will get it because i'll read it to her so that you know she can listen to fans or anybody else that wants to so again hope you guys enjoyed the mini episode and we will be back very shortly within a week week and a half with episode number three hope you guys enjoyed